It was more than a hundred years ago that Lewis Carroll wrote about Alice's trip through the looking glass. Now that fiction has become a reality, or you might say a virtual reality, because that's the name of a new computer technology that many believe will revolutionize the way we live. Virtual reality lets you travel to places you've never been and see things you've never seen and do things you've never done without ever leaving the room. Fly over Mars. Take a trek through a prehistoric jungle. All it takes is a special helmet and a glove, and you're off. It's a computer-generated world where you see and move and feel. Will real life ever be the same? Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and this episode is all about virtual reality. We find out how this technology that promised so much back in the 1990s is being used in design and maintenance of assets in the built environment. Put simply, virtual reality tricks our brains into believing that something's real when it isn't. And today, that means using computer-generated imagery in an immersive way. Although our producer, Ross McPherson, has not been to Mars or a prehistoric jungle, he has been meeting people all over the country to really understand how and why organisations are bringing this technology into their projects. But before that, he looked into its origins. The first virtual reality system was introduced in 1962 and called the Sensorama. Its originator, Morton Heilig, was not only a pioneer within the realms of virtual reality, but he was also a filmmaker. His interests in films led him to produce his vision of the cinema of the future, or the experience theatre. Shaped almost like an arcade machine that you'd see down at your local seaside pier, the user would sit within the machine and be immersed in its images. During its early life, Heilig produced five short films for the Sensorama to display, including a motorbike ride through New York. With the film playing, users would experience a 5D type of experience, with other senses stimulated, from the aroma of petrol and pizza snack bars to gusts of wind. By the 1990s, software had become more sophisticated, and ABC News were reporting on its life-changing potential. This news item was from 1991 and was already connecting virtual reality with construction. Detailed models of city landscapes are giving urban planners a chance to redesign Main Street without ever lifting a stone. And architects can show you around your new home even before the first brick is laid. The hardest part of designing anything, including a building, is deciding what it is you want to design exactly. Professor Frederick Brooks is one of the pioneers in virtual reality. His computer science center at the University of North Carolina was partially designed with VR technology. This kind of technology lets not only the architect, but more important, the client, walk together through the proposed new building and suddenly say, oh, this kitchen works fine for cooking, but it doesn't work for parties. So virtual reality is, in essence, when you're inside a computer-generated world and you access it using some type of headset or device, typically, you put on and you can see around you and you're immersed in it that way. 
Simon Evans is the Director of Digital Engineering at the Design, Engineering and Project Management Consultancy Atkins. And I look after how we can start using technology better into our engineering life cycle and what we do with that. So let's start generally. How do you um, use virtual reality mm. at the moment and how do you see that evolving? We use immersive technology and virtual reality very regularly in our organisation. We have a, quite a distributed spread of equipment across the organisation and we have a team of maybe 50 or so developers in-house that do a lot of the development and programming for us. Uh, so we've been on this journey probably for the last three years or so and over that time we've seen significant growth in our adoption but in our application of it. And it's already having a major impact. Particularly around providing spatial context and understanding to an environment. For us, virtual reality and this technology in general comes back to visualisation and collaboration. How can you visualise the environment in a faster, better way and how can you collaborate around that? Not only yourself, individually with maybe individuals in your office, but also with people further afield. So how can we connect people from around the world into the same environment and collaborate around it, just like you're having a conference call? According to a report from Atkins' parent company, SNC-Lavalin, the cost of construction rework comes to almost $2 billion a year in the US. But virtual reality can reduce this. To test it out, they brought the technology into an oil and gas project after the traditional design reviews had taken place. Operation and maintenance teams, who'd never used VR before, immersed themselves in the design and identified 32 improvements. The cost saving? $2.4 million on this single project. Much of this comes down to improved understanding. So if you're doing a design activity, for example, a big part is understanding the spatial environment and where you're working. And traditionally, you would do that by looking on a, a monitor and maybe trying to interpret the 3D model. Or maybe in a few years back, could actually build a physical model and look at it. But now if you can enable people to step inside it and get that context, it unlocks a lot more potential. So we've had examples where we've been using it in hazard reviews or risk reviews, and we've been looking around the, the model on a computer screen and have identified, of course, following the normal prompts, different challenges and things we've change, and then put on some virtual reality goggles and have immediately spotted something very quickly because it was obvious because of the spatial arrangement, like, oh, that valve is pointing the wrong way, oh, there's not enough space here to send yeah. somebody. So activities like that have been really powerful where you can suddenly provide, as I say, that spatial context to what you were doing, but then also do it with other colleagues as well. Yeah. So if I was based in our India office, you were here in London, how could we work together and with the client and say, look, actually, let's change this, let's modify that, how does that impact the rest of the schedule? For us, virtual reality and this technology in general comes back to visualisation and collaboration. How can you visualise the environment in a faster, better way and how can you collaborate around that? To answer Simon's question about better visualisation, I decided to head over to the Digital Construction Week in London and one of the first things that caught my eye when entering the XL was this dome-like shape which looked like something from a future base camp on Mars. And what we have here is an immersive installation which replicates the effects and benefits of a VR headset. I'm Scott Grant from Solus Group. Scott is seeking to use this media to create a shared experience and journey. Think of a very modern version of Morton Hylix, Sensorama. I took a walk inside it. 
Now in the, the construction sector and property broadly, there's a limit as to how much dialogue can take place in a VR headset. So we find that people don't spend long enough in it, it kills the conversation. So what we've done here over the last few years is really develop thinking around what an immersive review platform should be. So this is effectively a large VR lens. So a, group, a large group of people could stand in here but yet be totally convinced by the scale and realism of the space that this becomes a reference to the conversation rather than the focus of the engagement. Three weeks could become three days for the normal release and review cycle. We want to shrink that and get everybody moving, moving things faster and ultimately improving the service that we offer as an industry to clients investing, spending money and again, yeah, just delivering projects more efficiently. A more collaborative experience compared to the standard VR headset, you could say. It is, yes. Yeah, so it makes that experience shared. So it's ultimately what we're de delivering here is user experience. Now, this may not always be the best solution, and we can port it across iPads, headsets, standard screen technologies, but this is just the ultimate way to get the effects of VR, which everybody understands reality. What we do is we level the playing field at that point, and technical data suddenly becomes this manageable data source that people can stand inside and take the value of that data outside the project teams and as far up and along the stakeholder kind of network as it needs to go. But is the technology mature enough to really be useful from both a software and a hardware perspective? I would say it is, yes. Um, it varies of course on who is delivering the activity. Um, some are more mature in their journey as organisations and using it and some have emphases in different places. For us as Atkins, it's all about the enabling tool still. We, we very much steer away from the marketing and the gaming gimmicks because after you've used it once, why would you ever want to use it again? Yeah. So yes, it can deliver value. Yes, the technology is mature to be able to deliver that value. Of course, it's going to keep on maturing and maturing as headsets become lighter, more accessible. Accessibility is crucial. The potential for VR existed decades ago, but now the equipment that supports it is finally finding its way into the mainstream. When we first sort of looked at, at VR, we were looking that the maturity of the equipment had reached a, a level where it was going to be feasible for us to use. This is Tony Palmer, the Digital Asset Creation Project and VR Lead for Anglian Water. We weren't actually sure of the benefits of VR. We weren't sure whether they would be accepted by the delivery teams. You know, we just had to give it a go. And that was Mark Hedges, the digital strategy manager for Anglian Water, but also one of the leaders in the At One Alliance. The At One Alliance is unique within the water industry. It's, it's a unique alliance and it's fundamentally powered by a different commercial model. And that commercial model really drives demand for innovation and efficiency. It's the perfect environment to be trying things like VR, um, to make sure that we are as efficient as we can be in delivery. And, and that's where the value really counts. It's in delivery on site. It's not showing and telling, it's not showcasing. It's real design and build projects being delivered on site. Anglian Water supplied drinking water to 4.3 million people in the UK and to cover the largest geographical area in England and Wales. They maintain and control 23,727 miles of water mains, which, if laid out end-to-end, -end, would run from London to Sydney and back. 
They also have 76,000 kilometers of sewers to maintain and 1,000 water treatment works, which they now call water recycling works. It is a lot to look after, and like all water companies in the UK, their work is regulated by Ofwat, who ensure that the work they do is necessary and comes at a fair price to customers like you and I. So the thinking back, we fundamentally wanted to move our organisation from a 2D to a 3D delivery-based business. And when you do that, you really need to think about the different ways in which people will interact with the information that the design is generating. So, you know, the, the, the historical way was to look at piles and piles of 2D drawings. And the problem with those is that they're, they're reasonably ineffective at communicating real design intent. Everyone looking at a set of drawings will have a slightly different idea of what the finished product or outcome is going to be. The great thing about 3D is that it cuts through all of that. You look at a 3D model, it's, it's far more native to the way that we work and it's far more understandable. And when you think about VR, it, it really increases that engagement um, a, a million times because you're immersed in the model. You're not just looking at it, you are immersed in it. As well as the increase in engagement, there is what many in the industry consider VR's greatest benefit. And it also reduces the time it takes for us to react to sort of internal processes like technical queries, design change requests, all of those kind of things. Um, and when you, when you look at those processes, VR's allowed us to, to just completely change the way we think about some key reviews in our delivery process. Some real examples, and, and I can put some numbers on these as well. Uh, we had a, a large building with a load of equipment in that building, um, and it was just a bit too big for the planning applications and everything else. And our operations people come along then and they said, we don't think that's quite big enough. We don't think we've got the space we need to work in there. As soon as we put them in the VR, they went, actually, there's loads of room in here, and we're fine with it. And when we worked out the cost saving, from bringing that building size down, there were savings in program and various other bits. We reckon that particular project we saved around £25,000. It also means that assets are fit for purpose and don't need any of the construction rework that we talked about earlier. And as the guy walked up with the VR headset on, walked up to the kiosk, he ducked. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, I felt like I was going to hit my head on that kiosk. So, well, we've made the kiosk big enough to fit the equipment in. Now, had we built that, Every time he went to it, he's either going to hit his head or duck. So we put a little bit extra height on the kiosk. We've done away with that potential risk. Had we had to go back later and change that kiosk, take the old one out, put the new one in, would have been about £15,000. So across those two projects, there's a massive, massive saving there. I love that. You know, it's just the simple application of this technology that, that allows us to expose issues like like those and and that's where it really works it is where it absolutely nails its value and, it, and it's, it's great to see it the introduction of virtual reality to angling water didn't come without its initial struggles though the biggest issue when we first started was getting the buy-in from a project manager to actually spend the money at that proof of concept stage where we were asking them you know, i need five grand to go and convert this model into vr there was also the problem of encouraging workers to experiment and use these new innovations once introduced. 
Another issue we have is getting people to actually put the headset on. Yet some people have used VR kit that was an earlier generation. It's made them feel a bit queasy, they're not sure about it, and just getting them to give it another go, giving them that push. I mean, I, I can think back to when we first wanted to experience being in the model rather than just looking at it. And we were, we were renting uh, a, a cave. It was, uh, and it was exactly that. It was a VR cave um, over in the Midlands. Traditionally, you sort of used to review, digitally review cars. That was what it was used for. And we, we really pushed them because we wanted to put a water treatment works into this thing, uh, rather than rather than just a, you know a, the latest Jaguar or whatever it might be. But um, you know, and we, and we were spending a significant amount of money to to do that. But they were rather more sort of showcase events r rather than really being used on the project to deliver real value. To really show us the benefits that virtual reality is bringing to their business, Tony and Mark decided to demonstrate it. In the second part of this episode, we get immersed in some of Anglian Water's infrastructure through their virtual reality system. One company that is just as excited about the potential for virtual reality as we are is architectural visualization company Enscape, who we have partnered with this section of the episode. They don't just think that VR is useful, they say it could save lives. Hi, my name is Moritz Luck. I'm CEO of Enscape. And um, what we do is basically where you needed specialists in the past for creating great visualizations, we allow you to do it in a very short way with just one click. You can walk through your project in real time in VR in a great quality. And that's something that you couldn't do before. Architecture is one of the very few use cases where VR makes a lot of sense because every building is different from the other. You have so many new buildings. And so you really need to experience it beforehand, what it's gonna look like. And VR and real-time rendering gives you this opportunity. So you wanna make sure that this unique building, which is also quite pricey, looks exactly the way you want it to. And typically people, have some um, problems understanding if you only look at the sketch or maybe even on a screen, if you, if you only look at the building that way to really understand what it's gonna feel like. And so this is where VR and real-time rendering helps. So what exactly is real-time rendering? So real-time rendering allows you, um, where it used to take hours or minutes to render one image, now we need 25 images or 90 images even per second. And that allows you to quickly walk through your um, building with uh, one click and not having to wait for hours to, to see something like that. Moritz says it's not only useful, it's potentially life-saving. For example, we had a mechanical firm, since this is an engineering podcast, so we had a, me a mechanical firm where they looked at the design they were that were they were pretty proud of and they said okay we we have done the clash detection but then going to vr they noticed that not every error that they found was really a clash or something but being able not to see not being able to see egress signs is something that's very crucial in your design and so only in vr when they walked and explored their building were they able to to see where the flaws were where, where they couldn't see the egress signs and that's something you can't see on a sheet of paper or if you just look at the plan. 
otherwise you would have done it differently. And so this is one of the very good use cases where VR even saves lives if you if you want. And that's something where I, I feel this, this security aspect of it is something that's maybe not as intuitive, but it's very helpful there. And the place where most lives are saved is in hospital. It's also a use case where VR makes a lot of sense, where you want to have the um, doctors walk to, through their um, through their rooms, through the operation rooms, and, and see how things fit there, if everything is where they want it to be. And also the nurses, do they... Um, because that's also life-saving. If, if the design is flawed or wrong, um, either it's very expensive to redo it, or it's just wrong, and then it the processes aren't perfect. So putting them into there is also a brilliant use case for VR. But there's numerous use cases, other than just the typical use case where you go into VR to explore your design and make changes on the fly, because that's what would what it's typically being used for, just making changes as you go in the software in your in your um, CAD system, clicking on things, making changes. And, and then seeing the effect and making decisions like that. In fact, VR is a tool that Moritz says can accelerate decision-making, and that saves money. There's many aspects of how you can save, save money in, in this uh, process. And um, one is by not having to rework your, your whole hospital because the, the layout wasn't correct. The other thing is by making decisions quicker. And also there I have an example where um, someone couldn't make a decision for years. It was a, an owner of, uh, I think it was a football stadium. And, and because typically you also think, is VR something only for the younger generation? But no, this was an elderly gentleman and he couldn't make this decision. But as soon as he stepped into VR and he was planning this for years and couldn't make up his mind. And But as soon as he stepped into VR, he said, okay, that's it. Now I finally understand the design and finally understand how it's, how it's meant and then he could make the decision. And that's only a, a small example for how decision-making is, is being done quicker with VR. What the football stadium owner was able to do, and that is impossible to extract from a 2D drawing, is to decipher the way that a structure feels. Another thing is also, we had this great architecture office and they had this atrium space where they said, okay, we have all the proportions done right, everything looks great on the plan. But as soon as they entered it in, in VR, they didn't know, they, they said, okay, this feels wrong. And then, and then they had to redo their design. But before, and in the traditional ways, they, they wouldn't have noticed that until the building was being built. And sometimes the most powerful lessons that virtuality can teach are about telling you what is not there rather than what is. So the, the overall vision is um, for you to, to understand what's not there. And so, so this is uh, a little abstract, but to make it more specific, we want to give you the possibility to, to walk through your building, explore your building as if it was there in a really photorealistic way. So you feel before it's built that, that you can really explore it and make decisions based on that. And we feel that in the future, we will get very close to this. I see that this industry specifically, the architecture and construction industry, is a conservative one. And it's not being an early tech adopter. But if something works well, I think then things get adopted and get used. For this to really expand, Moritz says we need better hardware, moving away from clunky devices 
So I, I feel for it to really catch on more, the devices need to get smaller and more portable. So for example, the, you have ways where people use their smartphones for, for VR, or you need devices that are really cheap and accessible so everyone can use it. And then you could even use it in uh, at your home. You, uh, someone sends you a link, you can use, in, uh, enter it on your smartphone, open it on your smartphone and explore your design in VR. That's something that where we, f we feel the future is going in this industry and where we, where we feel that we should uh, as well. And what could happen in the future is that VR could be a stepping stone towards augmented reality. That's a, that's a very good point um, that you mentioned that AR is a... I, th I feel that it's more of a future than, than VR, that maybe VR is just a step in between to, to AR. The thing is, is that the devices that you get in AR aren't really there yet. The devices need to be more portable, the rendering power isn't there, the field of view isn't there. It's, it's okay to use, but it's not as immersive as, as the result that you can get from VR nowadays. So, but imagine you, you go to a construction site, you want to build a building like a house and you, you can see it on site in its natural environment and then maybe even make changes, walk through it, explore what it's going to look like. That's where I see the future. Back in the east of England, I'm watching Anglian Waters media officer David Hartley put on the headset. So yeah, David's on the headset at the moment, he's looking in a pump room. It's another example where the operations and maintenance people just didn't feel that the, the room was big enough, they had enough space to do what they needed to. As soon as we put them in the VR they went actually it's absolutely fine, there's plenty of room. So we didn't have to make the building bigger. Now if we select, there's a tape measure, second one from the right, if you just use the trigger underneath on the right hand to select that. And then just pick with, with the laser pointer, just pick two points any points on the floor and it will give you the distance between them so if you want to check the width of the walkway or a door height of a door is there enough layout space you can do that with uh, with that control and so if we go to the next one along there's a pencil symbol there Let's select that one we're already on the right setting so now your right hand is like a spray can so you can write your name on the floor or on the wall or whatever you want to do um, the, practical application would be marking it up to say make this door wider make this gap bigger can't reach this valve the great thing about those is they can currently be exported so you you could you could make the markup take a screenshot of that in VR and then you compile those screenshots and comments to compile into a report so you get a, a real output from your review session it's not just all about being in the in the virtual space you get real product from it so what did David make of it it was absolutely fascinating. It was one of the first times I've ever actually put on a, a VR headset that wasn't for gaming reasons. So to see it in uh, an actual practical scenario, which um, our guys use out on the ground day to day, was really interesting to see um, and to really appreciate the scale of what they do in their day to day jobs and how VR can help Anglian Water kind of reduce um, health and safety issues or help improve people's time, their productivity, the efficiency of their work. One of the considerations that organisations like Anglin Water must consider is the equipment that they invest in. 
When we first sort of looked at, at VR, we were looking that the maturity of the equipment had reached a, a level where it was going to be feasible for us to use. Um, and the price was right for us as well at that point. So we embarked on a, uh, a proof of concept, if you like. We invested in a, a high-spec laptop and a, a VR headset. And how do we get this stuff onto the headset now? So initially, we were sending stuff out to um, consultants and spending around £5,000 and taking four weeks to get the model converted from our design model into a VR model. That's got certain challenges with it. Your model's four weeks late and you're trying to get buy-in from a project manager to be able to spend that money. It wasn't always easy. But then they found some products that enabled them to do the conversion themselves. We looked around the market and looked at a number of different pieces of software. We ended up opting for a Prospect from Iris VR. We are a VR company that will bring your 3D model, your BIM file, into uh, a virtual reality space real time. This is Brian Jenkins, sales manager at Iris VR, who I met at Digital Construction Week. That seemed to offer us what we needed. And as soon as we brought that in, it was a step change for us. We could then convert models into VR in-house, anything from five minutes for the smallest to 45 minutes for the biggest models. And we can do it as many times as we like and just really opened up our VR usage. Prospect offered us a, a number of other things within that. Such as the multi-user feature. Think of multiplayer online gaming, but for infrastructure. Here's Brian again. What we envision is a collaborative cloud-based platform where your files are still running pr primarily locally, but uh, the ability to upload your files and make annotations to those files and track issues on those files in the cloud. So multi-users accessing the project, it's similar to the way that, uh, that gaming uses multi-user to play people against each other. Um, the, the prospect software um, synchronizes via the cloud. Um, and there's a public access code. If, if somebody hasn't got a licensed version of the software, they can use that instead. Um, and you see each other in the model as like a triangular-shaped um, avatar with your name flowing above your head. You can talk to each other. You see each other move around in real time. Um, there's, there's facilities within Prospect to be able to do markups within the model and make comments and leave them. So you see other people's comments and markups get left behind. Um, if somebody goes wandering off in the model, the meeting host can pull them back or you can go and find where people are. There's a go-to button. So there's some features in there that make the multi-user uh, quite useful. Something that is really important is making sure that the use of new tools like this is as user-friendly as possible. Mark says that ultimately this is about helping people do a better job. So from a, a strategic point of view, you know, it's very easy to get carried away with transforming the design space, the office. And it's really easy, therefore, to actually forget our colleagues on site. You know, they're the guys out there every day in a really tough environment. So we began to think a little bit differently about digital transformation for the Alliance and really with an absolute focus on digitally transforming the site environment. What could we do for those guys to help them in their jobs? They're the ones facing the real health and safety risks every day. They're also up against program constraints and delivery expectations. So, so that digital transformation of the site environment is really important to us and we're, we're on that journey. VR, I think, was the first real thing we did 
possibly along with one or two other things acting simultaneously to, to really start that process and that's a journey that we're, we're, we're still on. Um, I think we, we looked at, at VR and thought, well, you know, how is this going to help us? But Tony talked about the multi-user function and being able to resolve issues that exist on site by not having to travel for two and a half hours over to Norwich or wherever it might be, but to be able to just organize a coordinated VR review session you with your colleague virtually and you go and look at that issue you discover it you discover it and discuss it live in that session and you come up with a solution so so what that has enabled us to do is to undertake those joint reviews with our construction colleagues on site it's reduced our travel it's reduced our risk and it's it's um, a, a great outcome as well is it's reduced our carbon footprint from a, a travel point of view and a and, and, a, and a, a waste point of view you know wasting time sitting in a car rather than being able to do your job another useful tool is being able to change the environment within the model day night, summer, winter, a colleague can pick whichever, which also helps to identify further issues down the line should there be any, whatever the weather. So Tony, we're, we're standing in the, in the model at the moment and we've got the ability to look at the effect of the different time of day and the different time of year that has on our, uh, on our assets. So can you take us to, uh, to today and uh, what the sun or the light conditions will be like when we're operating this plant? Yeah, so within the prospect software, just select the sunlight icon and it's got uh, time and date uh, slider bars. And just drag it along. Where are we now? That's roughly today. Um, I'm not sure geographically exactly where it is, but uh, it gets us a pretty good idea that it's actually the middle of the day. Um, if I drag it along to the evening, the shadows go, the light goes. So 8 o'clock tonight, the moon's out, the stars are out. That's fantastic. You really begin to appreciate the, the challenges of operating an industrial plant like this water treatment works at different times of the year and, and different times of the day and we know that our operational colleagues have to respond to to all kinds of issues on site 24 365 so it's really interesting to see uh, the different conditions that they might be uh, they might be being asked to work in and how we might mitigate those health and safety risks in the design uh, before we get to, to build the plant if we had that model just displayed on a screen, that's the bit that you miss. Yeah. You, you're just not interacting, you're just looking at. And, and there's a really crucial difference between sure. the, the two. Uh, and it's that difference that delivers the, the value. As we know from previous episodes of Engineering Matters, virtual reality is part of a wider digital transformation happening in the built environment. This technology, in my view, is intrinsically linked to the digital twin story and the digital twin approach. But what virtual reality provides is that viewport into the digital twin, that you view it in a different way, just like you could view it on your mobile yeah. phone. Yeah. So it's part, for me, 
having the ability to visualise the asset in virtual reality is intrinsic in that story. Often it relies on devices that aren't, um, they're small, but they're not that lightweight. And if you can access them in an easier way, maybe through your mobile phones, like we were demonstrating earlier with this device, yeah. then it, it brings it closer to people. So that's why I'm really excited about the accessibility and the, the lightweightness and the connectedness, because at the moment they're yeah. often connected via cables. And as Moritz from Enscape mentioned, virtual reality could be a stepping stone to augmented reality. And augmented reality as well, as we start making those step changes towards it being much more accessible, much more powerful and much more easy to use because it obviously works really well at the moment. Off that practical experience that, that Tony's just talked about, um, I mean, we are, we are still hitting services on site. You know, so if you're thinking about augmented reality where you've got an overlay of the virtual onto the, onto the real, uh, the elimination of service strikes through augmented reality I think is very reachable. You know, we really ought to be able to deliver that within the next 18 months, two years, I think. And along with that is, you know, you have your associated sort of health and safety risk reductions, the reductions in inconvenience either to our own operations or to the general public when we hit things that we really shouldn't be hitting. Uh, and, and the associated business risk reduction that, that goes along with that um, you know digital twins I mean that's, that's a fascinating field isn't it and uh, and to be able to walk onto site and literally have all the information that you need including real-time reporting of bits of equipment that you can see would be just you know that's the real next step and that's what the real digital twins are all about um, and, and I think, you know, the, the stakeholder, public and customer engagement pieces through, through AR, I think they're things that, you know, we, we really should be looking at. I mean, we've thought about them, but we've not actually delivered anything really yet. So they're exciting fields to move into. And, and you know, it just means that our work isn't done. In fact, we're only just getting started. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne and Ross McPherson, edited by John Young. The virtual reality producer is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Anglian Water and the At One Alliance, Atkins, Enscape, Iris VR, Soluis Group and Digital Construction Week. Engineering Matters is available on all podcast apps from iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts and you can listen to it on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media. If you like our episodes, please leave us a fantastic review and share us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Reddit. If you haven't listened to the Tunnelling podcast yet, head over to tunnelling.reby.media.